Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wunder Mobility Podcast. Today, I am with my good friend Patrick of Motion Tools. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, Gunnar. Good to be here. We're just starting out into the year. Uh, we have had an extended summer break for the podcast, so to speak. There was a lot to deal with last fall in the world, in the industry, in our companies. Before we dive into all of that, tell us what Motion Tools is doing. What's your product? Yeah, actually, uh, most tools are a bit similar to Wunderfleet, but for logistics and not for shared mobility. So we're basically building an operating system for logistics services. This could be quick commerce delivery services, career services, package delivery. And also, actually, we're helping to manage the maintenance operations of fleets. So with motion tools, you can basically drive the efficiency of your operations and also make sure that customers are delighted because they have clean and well-fueled or charged, better to say, vehicles. And that's where we discovered actually some synergies. So we've been kind of outside of the podcast, also been working together a bit, our teams, and we have also joined customers. Now, can you explain a little bit, so what's there Business, obviously, probably vehicle sharing, hosting on Wonder Mobility. And then how are they integrating the two products? What do yeah. they use this one for? So I think everything that happens in Wonder Fleet is, is towards customers managing um, uh, the fleet, getting access to the fleet, charging for the rental and all of this kind of stuff. And then if you want to make sure that, um, especially in a free-floating fleet, um, you want to make sure that all your vehicles are well-maintained, then you could read this from uh, Wunderfleet, from the system. However, the question is when to do what kind of task? How is this being triggered? So, for example, somebody ends a rental, the battery is almost dead. Then there's a trigger in, in Wunder saying, okay, running out of battery. But somebody has to pick that up, basically. Somebody has to take that as a task and then also get it done. And what the integration between Wunder Fleet and Motion Tools does is to create these tasks fully automatically. And on the other hand, Motion Tools will help the workers in the field to get those tasks done efficiently with the result to have basically increased uptime of your fleet, better availability, more revenue but also less cost because you can get more tasks done per hour per worker and basically reduce the cost of maintaining your fleet. So basically, kind of abstract way to say this, it's location-based task management with dynamic tasks in mm -hmm. a way because yes. vehicles that were prioritized for a task might become unavailable again. And so you exactly. have to constantly update yeah. in real time, not only the runner's location, but also the task to exactly. Even just finding out not, not which tasks have to be done, but also who's going to do them and is somebody already working on that or not. All of this happens basically in real time, is visible and also gets communicated between the different workers right. so that you don't, you know, have like two people working on the same stuff or you need somebody to plan all of this. Yeah. And then the problem with free floating and also maybe with cars is, you know, you don't want to block them from rentals just because you want to clean them. So maybe you have a task, it has a location, but maybe the location is wrong in one hour because somebody in the meantime, you know, booked it to go to work. Mm -hmm. So then you need to obviously update also that task mm -hmm. and all of this basically through the integration. And then what Motion Tools has to offer is being done um, a lot smoother. Lots of room for operational improvement at, at a certain fleet size efficiencies because no longer 
does it have to be done kind of by visual inspection? Yes. Um, and it's going quite deep in a way that we basically, yeah, we use each other's APIs and uh, you can basically upgrade yeah. through the motion tool solution. We have a joint history before that, kind of more recently, what we now um, talked about, and we should also share this a little bit. And coming from your perspective, how did you go into tech mobility mm. in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I have like uh, three main, main maybe things that drove me to where I am today. One is obviously tech and this started when I was 12. I started coding and I just did it because I liked it, liked to create digital stuff. And that was quite a quite a while ago. Um, uh, PCs weren't maybe um, uh, there, you know, abundantly yet. And so I was fortunate enough to have access to a computer very early on and I just liked it. You know, I like to create a website, create a, um, an app, you know, you called it like a, not an app back then. But so this is like one one thing, tech. Then one thing that I really liked um, was transportation. For me, this was always like getting people or things from A to B. And the passion started basically when I was also young and traveling with my family to foreign places, mainly for vacation. But for me, it was like an adventure, like exploring the world and seeing new things. And uh, transportation makes that possible. Uh, and so I started actually my career at Lufthansa when I was 19. And so this brought me into this mobility industry like in a bigger, a broader sense. Uh, that's like the second thing. So tech and transportation. And the third thing for me was always important, like empowering myself to grow beyond who I am today and reaching my full potential. And um, this uh, software as a service business model that yeah we both share is a way to empower others. And of course, it starts with yourself. So create an environment, a culture where you can thrive, then bring this also to your colleagues, your, your team, to your ecosystem. And that includes, of course, other entrepreneurs that are building businesses, operators in the space of technology. So that's kind of empowering business builders with tech that are building something in transportation has been now like a schema for me the last almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. And 10 years ago, 20, well, late 2013 or early 2014, we also met each other for the first time and we began to work together in the very beginning of Wundercar, Wunder Mobility, yes. right here in Germany. And you were Wunder's first CPO, COO, these kind of things. So basically uh, created everything that yeah. um, existed there from scratch in the first days. First, not just days, actually four yeah, yeah, almost years, four, years, four plus yeah, years yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then we basically uh, grew this, you know, Germany's first ride hailing business, then into a carpooling in other markets because here's regulation. <laughs> and eventually the pivot in, into B2B yeah. was um, just about to happen when you then also launched uh, your own company yeah. again. Yeah, that was like a super interesting time because this whole like innovation in, in uh, mobility was still in its infancy, so to say. I also remember how much time, money, resources we invested into building the technology. Totally. Uh, yeah, like so the first, I think the first million basically went into just having an MVP yeah, and sure. took half a year or something. And uh, think about it, what you can do today, right? So yeah, also around marketing automation or so, just tools are so much more advanced. I mean, everybody, of course, yeah. kind of stating the obvious, but we really did experience that also in mobility. And it was good to be... To built, for example, years ago, now it's a tool, yeah. maybe on the marketplace as a plugin for everyone, but... 
And, and it's, I think it also uh, led us to where we are today, like both of us, because we have this operational background where we, we know what it takes to operate marketplaces and transportation ventures, uh, not only building the tech, but also figuring out things on the ground. And that's, I think, also very important for us as tech providers to yeah. have insight into that. And let's like tie our own experience a bit to the state of shared mobility mm -hmm. in general, because yeah. we just mentioned this. Um, yeah, we launched the first ride hailing in Germany. So this is kind of early beginning. Of course, you know, vehicle sharing, car sharing and so on dates back kind of decades before that and other initiatives. But when it really got commercialized and on the radar for most people and then also the incumbents and so on uh, was just in the more recent years. And where yeah. are we now? Because mm. apparently it went up a lot and now things have also changed in the last yes, few years. So yes, yes. how would you kind of describe the state of shared mobility at mm. the moment? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, when we started, especially in Germany, like uh, venture capital wasn't actually super easy to get access to. The tech scene was very different, not as matured. There weren't like huge exits yet and, and uh, not such a big ecosystem to, to build new businesses. Um, access to talent, all of this was more difficult. Mm. Also a more regional market and not as uh, global as today, uh, where maybe it doesn't even matter anymore where you live. You can still get investment from mm -hmm. someone that lives uh, on the other side of the world. That, that didn't really exist. I remember we, we went all over the place and had to visit people on site to get a first meeting and so on, try to get European VCs right. into Wunderkar and so on and that wasn't so easy so i think that, that that was a very different time you had to have quite a bit of money to get something launched and capital was kind of not so easy to get access to yet and i think then the next five years this changed a lot so basically the access to capital was a lot easier uh, sometimes maybe even too easy but basically the efficiency on how to deploy that capital Everyone kind of was like, I need to build this myself. I need to first invest into technology. I can only raise money if I'm like a tech company, which means I have to build everything from scratch. That was kind of a little bit the schema. And I think we're now going into this phase where people realize it's okay to be a tech-enabled company. You can be an interesting target, even as an operator. You don't have to build everything yourself. And capital access is maybe on the decline a little bit for, for maybe the next few years. And on the other hand, we have now tech more available as a service. So this basically means, I think, um, now starting last year, but now this year is going to be probably the year of efficiency, of profitability. Not uh, just at Meta, but also. Not, not just at Meta and, and a few others. I mean, um, basically as an entrepreneur, like uh, you need to learn how to be capital efficient. And that means building on top of the things that others have already built and not starting from scratch. And this could actually be even if it maybe is hard for some and will mean death for others even, I think this is where we have the chance to get beyond the hype cycle and really make a lasting impact because in the end, it's only going to be lasting if also the businesses behind it are you know sustainable because they make a profit, right? This is in the end the, the game you play when you run a business, right? Right, totally. We talk here sometimes also in the team, just make sure everyone's kind of aware of this in the team about the Gartner hype cycle, you mm -hmm. know, where a topic like te it's technology is ready and then the expectations keep going up and are kind of peaked, overhyped, and then everything kind of crashes down disillusionment because everything takes longer and so on or isn't profitable yet. And then finally, like trough of sorrow and plateau of productivity. And we are beyond the peak of inflated expectations now mm. and very far down and it's not coming back. And what is going to come back more is this 
kind of slope of enlightenment plateau of productivity where the enlightenment from my perspective also would be to figure out the profitable business models to you know focus collaboration um, with cities building on existing also uh, differentiation and specialization i think uh, a lot of times it was uh, the simple thing like like a copycat schema like something is working um over in the states let's do the same in europe or something is working in sure. germany let's do the same because we're maybe better exec executioners so to say yeah so and and i think The reality is that like consumers, they like services that cater to their specific needs. Uh, so that's, of course, a little bit harder if you don't just copy, but you really need to understand your customer needs and cater to them. And I think this is the chance that people find their niches, like operators find their niches and find the best way to get access to the technology they need to run profitably and then also have a sustainable business because they have customers that love their products, their, their services. And that's something we can maybe also share here that we are also collaborating on now more is doing very open book with existing operators of shared mobility, really understanding them deeper. The biggest pain, we want to understand the biggest pains of our operators in detail to not only get the most out of our products, but also influence the roadmap where everything is developing, really coming from this kind of holistic understanding of their operations, product positioning and so on. Because yeah. that is the most urgent question. I think all these pictures of you know, the future city, the green city, the uh, not everyone has their own car and so on, have been rendered many times mm -hmm. and maybe piloted in certain setups. But that's not like the default outcomes, not where things are gravitating necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think most of what is on the street now is actually not profitable. It's yeah. financed yeah. by VC or by city initiative and not going to remain or become the norm unless more innovation is yeah. still happening. Especially if, if I, I think there is a consumer shift um, starting to happen, but uh, usually consumer shifts are very slow, right? So if, if now operators would start to die and there is no sustainable business to be found, then I think consumers just shift back to what they, they always did. So yeah, I, I do agree that there's still some work to be done. And one important thing here is to collaborate, to allocate resources more efficiently, to think twice about, do I build this in-house? Can I outsource this? Do I lose my own differentiation if I use a standard software? Or is there something in between? Yeah, is there maybe like a hybrid strategy where I can say I'm getting like core features from a software as a service company, but I have maybe a few engineers on my side to focus on building the stuff that makes me different and makes me win in the market. And then I think that, you know, there are different things here that the industry, I think, should move towards to make sure that shared mobility and a sustainable kind of city life will really happen. And I think we don't want to and shouldn't rely on venture capital to finance this. It should be something that people really appreciate, are willing to pay the price for. But on the other hand, also, I think we as entrepreneurs and as companies, we also have to find a way to do this in a capital efficient way. And that means collaboration, focus. It means maybe differentiation and also living side by side, so to say. And I, I think that we experienced the shared mobility industry as pretty open already in the past. People like to come together and like talking in closed networks. But I feel like that's become even more now because in reality, when, you know, cash isn't plenty, for example, and we need to accelerate um, a bit and need to find the improvements, 
and pay attention to details, there's even more openness to sharing now and collaborating mm. together. And um, because we are able to work with uh, so many operators, I think we we do see uh, some great examples of more daily rentals per vehicle for some much more than average through some gamification that was introduced or like operational efficiencies that were not considered possible before. And we have to really accelerate the rollout of these improvements and the best practice sharing to get there where we want to get. McKinsey makes it look very easy. They published the like 2030 shared mobility report in January, updated kind of their estimates and whatnot. And, and they are kind of keeping that guidance that they've had for the last two, three years already on, on where this will all end up and basically saying that, you know, total revenue globally shared micromobility, 2019, one to three billion for 2030, 50 to 90 billion. Hmm. So like 30 times more and car sharing also moderately growing like hmm. from five to seven to about 10. But that's just basically a reminder again, how everything is still yeah. relatively early days. There would be so much more room to grow. But the question says, who is going to do it? Because right yeah. now people aren't um, we don't really see that campaign. growing or like um, accelerating maybe, but sometimes even the, the contrary is happening. Maybe the market is there and maybe it, it theoretically made sense, but uh, whether it's really happening depends on the players on the field, right? Players on the field, industry uh, shakeup, bankruptcies. Yeah. Uh, let's turn to predictions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, not to, we didn't also pre-discuss this or anything, but we saw the first small ones happening I'm not sure like how broadly they also I mean it's like all publicly filed in some sense, but usually doesn't get headline news because operators are typically kind of smaller and don't make the eight o'clock news on TV. But the first bankruptcies yeah. are happening. You see more coming. What are the biggest shifts in the landscape of today that you would expect in the next yeah. one or two years? What are the biggest shifts? Yeah, I mean, uh, de definitely like a shift in the strategy of uh, of how the industry has to operate, like the players have to operate. So uh, definitely more specialization and probably a price increase for customers and maybe some more education around, you know, what it costs to share cars versus to own cars. I think people underestimate how expensive it is to own cars. And then, you know, kind of like this this budget, they just right off for their car. But then every time they, you know, rent an e-scooter, they think about, oh, wow, that was expensive. So I think there's going to have to be a shift also in how this is being communicated. I think for a long time, operators just try to get customers in at any cost, even if they weren't profitable and make it very, very easy to get in. And yeah, in the future, maybe it's not going to be so easy to get in because if you're not willing to pay the price, then you're also not maybe interesting as a customer. And that's a sh mind shift also for operators. Not not every customer is a good one, but and there are some that really appreciate your service. And those are the ones you want to cater to and also educate on why the price is maybe justified and, and what the freedom is that you get from it, from not owning a vehicle, a car, but from sharing. So your predictions for 23 for shared mobility, more bankruptcies? Yes, no, yeah? Yes, yes. Price increases? Definitely. On end customers, we see More the first consolidation, definitely. Cities good. Paris uh, just went up 30 to 50% the price. Miles, certainly, if you were a WeShare driver before, now you pay more for a dirtier car, but maybe it will still be around in a few years because it's actually hopefully profitable. Yeah. <laughs> What else? 
Yeah, more, more basically, I think, you know, like the example of uh, what Motion Tools and Wunder is doing, like this kind of collaboration, or collaboration. Um, it's, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense for, in my opinion, for, for Wunder to build the feature set that Motion Tools already has. But it makes sense that customers of Wunder get access to this functionality. So um, I think this is like just, you know, um, one, one firsthand experience that, that we can see. But I think there's going to be a lot more of that um, specializing in technology, but then also on the operator side. So basically, maybe even simpler fleets. It's one of the things that why like a Ryanair kind of gain so much market share from Lufthansa is because they try to be super lean. Um, also, when it comes to what kind of vehicles they operated for a very, very long time, they only had A320s. And we saw that with venture capital in the last few years, people were just crazy about what kind of you know things they offer to their customers and what they make possible but it's not profitable so if you want to be profitable you, you maybe have to concentrate on on less stuff and then be also happy with just being the market leader you know in a certain region for a certain vehicle type and that's a specialization and even if you look at then maybe those aggregators like FreeNow or uber and so on even that is a specialization like for them the operations with taxis is not as important anymore as it used to be because their new specialty is not taxi but it's like aggregation right mm -hmm. probably google maps gonna come into play more there and so on so there's gonna be those specialists that are very good at giving you all the choices in one app it's very different from operating a free-floating kick scooter sharing service in a city highly efficiently and then maybe selling you know getting getting revenue through a free now or an uber so um this is a special specialization in in some uh, to some extent and i think this is and um, this needs to happen and it's also good in the end the customer probably will benefit and it's also going then faster in a direction where it's a sustainable business because you really know what you're doing and it comes with a certain level of sophistication and also operational excellence but even with a brand that has a focus on something and that that what you're known for so free now is not anymore known for maybe a little bit but it will be less known for being a taxi totally. app marketplace, but mm. more for, I mean, th there's a reason why it's called free now, right? So they want for to- a mobility super app more or less. No? Exactly. So, um, and, and, and I think this is a healthy and good development. That's why sometimes too much venture capital can also yeah, keep up unhealthy habits of players in the game um, and because it, it's getting financed. It doesn't mean it's good or right. it's sustainable. Those are kind of topics that are going to be visible to consumers and like people from the outsides, maybe some bankruptcies, price increases, specialization in terms of vehicle type, business models, maybe regions. What are some topics that are going to happen this year under the hood that the normal consumer, for example, doesn't see, but that are that we've identified yeah. also and we talk about together that are super important for our operators now? And I'm thinking about fraud here that we yeah. have as a top priority. Yeah. You mentioned some users are better chaffed than others. Some exactly. users don't have at all. They're even negative for yeah. you. Just let's throw out some numbers here because interesting for people who, who don't have the operator financials, mm. it's not uncommon today if you are a vehicle sharing operator, mm. you would lose 10% of your revenue on unclaimed damages basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've heard this from interviews with um, CEOs in Shared Mobility in the last months. They say eight or nine out of 10 damages don't get reported. In the end of the day, you can't allocate them to someone. Even maybe that's a very uncomfortable negative user mm -hmm. experience if you accuse them of or yeah. even ask about it. And so 
For example, if you're a car sharing operator, this could be like your ballpark figure would be 100 euros per month per car in unclaimed damages. Mm. Just imagine this on your P&L. If you could cut this in half or drastically reduce 80%, that's yeah. a huge step towards profitability. And I think we don't have to, like the knowledge, the functional knowledge mm. of identifying potential bad actors, smooth ways to keep them out in a way, already exists somewhere yeah. like in the workforce in people who had this experience yeah. in e-commerce before or other platforms. But it's not the norm yet in shared mobility. And I think it's a great example for what people don't, it's not everyone needs to figure this out for themselves. We're going to have exactly. much faster progress, more value for money if that's somehow offered in a central way. Whether that's a total specialist like integrated with us or it becomes part of our solution or yeah. Ocean Tool solution, have to figure it out. No, I, I think there's a lot of optimization that needs to happen. And it, it basically, I mean, it's a typical kind of blitz scaling idea, right? That you you prioritize growth over efficiency and that is going to be over for, you know, some time. And that means a lot of things will happen or will be prioritized differently in our industry. And yeah, I think figuring out how to manage damages better, how to prevent them, how to identify threats early, you know, maybe things you also invest into to, to be getting better at this process, to reducing costs there, all of this stuff will be more of a priority. And usually it's always, I mean, like growth versus efficiency. If you want to be more efficient in preventing damages, then you probably want to keep some users out. And that will have a sh like a negative short-term uh, impact on your short-term revenue. And on the other hand, your unclaimed maybe fees also, uncollected fees yeah, uh, basically just go up. Area of then fraud, yeah. you're kind of... Yeah, maybe not being 100% honest to yourself. I think this is also typical that if investors wave with money, then you start maybe working on metrics that are not going to drive long-term sustainability, but that are optimizing for maybe getting raising more money. So I think this is therefore also an op opportunity that there's less money in the in the market, that we're now focusing on things that drive long-term sustainability of shared mobility industry. And um, yeah, damages is one, but yeah, it's operational excellence. Like how much do you really look at what's going on there? How much, how much do you even know what your utilization rate of your fleet is? What's the uptime of your, your vehicles? All of these things, like, do you know this? Do you have dashboards for that? Do you have a metric for that? Do you look at that? Do you know how to drive that in the right direction? Or are you just counting trips, you know, mm -hmm. and then hope that somehow the cash is going to last? Totally agree. And the other topic area that we see and now have like more and more data about and are investing in that is going to be a game changer is better hardware from my perspective. Mm. In micromobility, we've seen this even last year. We have our software business, but we have the hardware team we're delivering, sharing bikes, sharing mopeds, any brand that our customers want, but then also our own co-developed vehicle where we, we did those modifications that we think are necessary. And we see a variety of models hitting the street and how do they perform mm. in the field. And it would not be uncommon last year, for example, in Europe to receive a large batch of sharing vehicles of leading brands and have 20% dead on arrival. And some can be repaired later and, and be put to use. But there's so much still left to do um, with um, sort of the investment into 
hardware availability, durability, yeah. life cycle cost, total cost of ownership. I mean, that, that, that's, I think, one of the most drastic changes that has been going on, like first generation of kick scooters versus like the recent ones, how long they, they actually are on the streets and are usable, how safe they are and so on. And I mean, I think maybe bikes, uh, but you would know better, but seem to be a little bit of higher quality from the start. But, uh, but definitely, I, I think with the data that Wunder Fleet has um, or Wunder Mobility has, you can build better hardware products the and most, that has an impact on, on the efficiency of operators and yeah. also whether customers are going to come back and say, I, I'd like to use this product or actually, uh, no, I, I'd rather buy a different bike myself. You know? The most, like by volume, by numbers of bikes, most sold sharing e-bike last year um, in the world, when that gets delivered, commonly 10 or 20% of the delivered batch would be that on arrival. And then more yeah. problems coming later. Yeah, it's so kind of the status then quo yeah, that we're in. And um, think about having that in the in the automotive industry. It's right? also like, yeah. having 20% okay. of the cars at the dealer be, be broken when you get there. Also fragmented yeah. landscape, bunch of in-house developments on the streets at the moment. And a bunch of players also in the last 12 months that decided the next round's not going to be on in-house anymore, including like, yeah. for example, Deutsche Bahn, where yeah. um, that used to be an in-house topic and now they are. Yeah, it. yeah, it plays also into the specialization thing. I mean, especially hardware, sometimes you think like, I mean, usually I think the common, common understanding is that hardware is just even, even more difficult, right? Harder to iterate on and so on. So in-housing this, I think for like a single operator is anyhow, I mean. You need the experience it's from, kind of crazy, field, from a it, number it, of deployments to yeah. kind of iterate on the improvements. And that's where we saw the opportunity to yeah, basically use all these observations to then partner up with like the world's largest light electric mm -hmm. vehicle manufacturer just by volume and their experience that they have and then tell them what modifications are necessary for sharing. Yeah. So in the Deutsche Bahn case, they had an or have an in-house team and they had their in-house developed bike for a while and no longer now. Um, basically, the Wunder bike gets deployed in the Tesla factory outside of Berlin for employees there to use run by Deutsche Bahn, mm -hmm. but with the bike that's coming yeah. from this collaboration. Yeah. yeah, we can't leave it here when we talked about predictions and try to trace back to our beginnings and shared mobility versus state now on the Gartner hype cycle without talking about AI. Oh, so, yeah, of, of course. course. So, sorry, I didn't tell you before, but I'm sure you are <laughs> every other day on chat GTP when it's um, available. Yeah. I don't know what something I, else. I think you need to start paying. Moved yeah, on yes, to yeah. the next great AI and now have also switched to Bing again back. But <laughs> no, in reality, like seriously speaking, okay, we all have some fun with that today. But where, like, do you, do you think that's going to have a massive impact on shared mobility pooling that we're using as an operator or that end customer seeing? Can we have improvements in our industry using AI? Is that going to be this year, next year? Where, it's, where, where are you going to see it first? I, I mean, I, 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 would, I would never say no here or no, I don't see this because uh, I think it's so fundamental technology that of course it will have an impact. 
The question is only how fast and in which areas first and who is also able to make good use of it. Because I think especially this generative AI is basically, uh, it, it's just a base technology, so to say, right? Mm -hmm. You still have to feed it. You have to have the data and so on. So I think if you, um, like a, um, like a player like Wunder Mobility, having access to a lot of data, obviously is probably more inclined and more able to make use of it and make recommendations just because there's more training data. So one of the reasons, I guess, why, why um, OpenAI is working very closely with Microsoft as they have quite a bit of data um, across all of their different business segments. And yeah, this is going to be critical. So it's also going to be hard maybe as a smaller operator, even larger scale operator, if you're just in one region, just maybe one type of vehicle and so on, then to even deploy the or to get access to the benefits of, of AI if you don't have enough data. So I think that's going to be something. So if you sit on a lot of data, you're more likely to uh, get like value out of um, uh, utilizing um, AI technologies in, in whatever kind of uh, uh, depth. But yeah, where exactly, I mean, everywhere where you can improve things and where you maybe make uh, need to make decisions, ideally based on data, I think there is a very good chance that AI is going to make a huge difference. So what we talked about when it comes to like ID verifications even or like which which user should go in, that's obviously a big, big thing here. Then the pricing model, like who's who can pay what? Revenue here. management, yeah. Yeah, revenue totally. management. That's like a huge part, right? I think these topics, the level we're at today is like most of the time super basic. So we might give the same permanent price to every user mm. or kind of, And let every user in that has a valid credit card, for example. And the next level is like a set of very complicated rules, rules-based decision-making. Basically, it's like, it's the a static program where we would say, okay, if they use an iPhone and if they their home location seems to be in this area, now we give them a different price. Yeah. But it's still very like predefined what will happen or what, what yeah. the criteria will be. And then the next level after that, But where we also will basically we're researching this now and we will not refine machine learning algorithms, but we will just be using them as they become available as a service mm. to combine um, that with the available data to basically the tool optimize what the rule actually should yeah. be who yeah. is in and not. And and then including all the challenges that come with that in terms of yeah. data privacy or discrimination and so on. And yeah. yeah, I mean, even predicting demand and this kind of stuff is is. Um, I would say uh, still in, in its kind of infancy and with AI, um, there will be a lot of progress that is possible and possible in a faster way yeah. with a bigger impact. But of course, yeah, you need to have access to the data. You need to be able to kind of integrate this with your technology. You also um, maybe have to pay for it. Yeah, But my guess is it's going to be worth it. I totally think so. I think we deal with all these like more or less operations problems in shared mobility and whenever a decision in hindsight could have been made better with the available information, that's the potential that AI is going to live basically mm. where our rules so far didn't actually do this or allow this, but now the machine will have figured it out. And we're telling everyone here in the team also, they say like AI won't replace your job probably but you won't be able to do your job at the speed or at the quality that's kind of become normal in a year mm. or two if you don't if you haven't already also like found your tools whatever's right for you whatever the job is but there's an explosion of applications with this now and 
I think it's, um, it's awesome how it can make almost any job just a little bit more creative or more efficient and faster. Yeah, I think, I think you know, humans going to have to focus more on the bigger picture, the strategy, like thinking about um, how, what do I want to offer? What, what is it that basically everything you need to run a business or to optimize, you, you, it's available. The question is, uh, does anybody care? And AI is not going to do that job for you. Uh, maybe you can use AI to find out a market segment and so on. But in the end, you need to basically combine the different elements, but you don't need to build the stuff from scratch, including AI. I mean, software as a service, getting everything as a service. This has been a huge trend and, and AI is going to fit right in. But in the end, this makes our job, I think, more interesting because we can make the bigger decisions. We can um, get, you know, we can run research faster and all this stuff. But we still need to think about like, how do I spend my day? Like, how do I spend my time? How can I make an impact? And that's still for us to decide, you know. And it's, yeah, I think it's totally exciting. There are years when more seems to be happening or less in technology. I think this like is going to be a year again and a season when a lot is going to happen. And I think it's super exciting. There's autonomy coming up in Paris in March. There's only a handful of events that we're going to participate in this year. And I think autonomy has to be one of them. Micromobility in Amsterdam, then later in the year. And in March at autonomy, there's a talk by Bono Mobility on using AI in shared mobility. Uh -huh. It's, like, it's going to detail out all the areas where we could apply it, uh, what would come first, maybe the downsides and all that. That is of course, largely the result of a conversation back and forth over half a day with ChatGTP and <laughs> other <laughs> and other tools out there. Because I think that's totally true what you're saying is that it's like challenging us to go a step further. It's not actually doing the thing for us, but it can just like lay out the obvious already. In this case, when it comes to like idea creation or content creation, and then uh, like in, in a back and forth, you can just refine it more. I think, yeah, hopefully we see a lot of applications there, but we're also taking, of course, I have to take one step after the other um, in shared mobility. And yeah. yeah, glad we can partner up on this like uh, we're already doing. Thanks for taking some time out of the day today and recording this with us. And yeah, as we hopefully your predictions on the bankruptcies will be wrong. And then... Uh, <laughs> Price increases. Yes, I'm, I'm also all for it. I think it has to happen. People get more specialized, make optimizations under the hood. Yeah, we're both trying to do maybe our best. Maybe I, I can also ask you um, uh, one, uh, one question here. So what is your prediction on who's going to be like uh, the leading technology provider for shared mobility and why? Serious. <laughs> <laughs> here to challenge, right? <laughs> I think that's the space of kind of tech providers platforms for shared mobility is also very fragmented today more than 20 platforms that i know of right also talk to the people if they are open we do it regularly and that will become much more consolidated mm. and it does make sense to not monopolize but there will be a clear number one eventually mm. and likely that number one will be especially good in shared micro mobility because that's where all the growth is like we had the numbers yeah. in the beginning 90 plus percent of the growth by 2030 will be in micromobility. And it's going to be the one who can show not underpricing people like in the right moment being the cheapest solution in the market because tech only is a very small fraction of the total cost, but the one who can really demonstrate the value of the solution 
to run profitable operations. Mm. It's not just the topic of the day. You declared the year of efficiency, yeah. but like we are in this type of industry. There are some industries, luxury goods, for example, where it's all about brand or even sport, sporting goods, for example. But in our industry, I mean, like it's transportation, there's city regulation coming in, day-to-day -day operations. It's really about efficiency. And if you can ingrain this in the product and demonstrate the value, that's going to be the default solution that more and more people gravitate towards. Mm. Because mm. what can you buy where well, everyone else more or less buying that this could be good enough for you as well. And I do think, of course, that we're biased to hear that, of course, Wunder Mobility is on this trajectory because we are currently the leader in SaaS for shared micromobility, just mm -hmm. kind of objectively speaking, number of operators, vehicles and stuff. But we also are optimizing, I believe, so hardcore in this direction of enabling our clients' deep understanding of client business to get more profitable. Mm. And um, do you think there's going to be some sort of like a specialization, like, I, um, th like what I mentioned for operators, do you think this is also going to be true for your kind of businesses? A specialization? Like the, the oh yeah, business? that's, that's, that's underway. So we did not, uh, like pre-discuss this, so I'm glad you asked, <laughs> but, um, that's totally underway and we're already doing it because you can totally talk and you should to the other people in, in the industry. And it's so complicated software for shared mobility or humanity in general, easy to understand, hard to master, mm. like people here say. And on the surface, there's another company, they might have more or less the same that you do. And in reality, there are use cases that they are just better at. And mm. they are actually specialized in this a bit. So we've partnered up with several companies in the industry right now that on the surface, they are a competitor. But in reality, certain use cases, yeah. we're not actually going there. We're, yeah. we're sending our clients either there entirely or an existing clients will use both solutions for mm. his entire business then. Yeah. You totally have specialization around use cases, maybe vehicle type to some extent, geography coming in. I think we're just fortunate that Europe is mostly where the action's happening. Yeah. Like more or less ballpark, 80% of the global spend on vehicle sharing is in Europe, not Japan, US, whatever. And then micromobility. So if you are like great and free floating shared micromobility in Europe, That's already a lot, but there are a ton of large adjacent markets. If you get me started basically on pre-booking, what does that exactly mean? And what use case actually are you after so pre-booking and then towards like digitization of rental? Mm. Here's an existing huge market that lines are blurring a little bit. That also is a software opportunity. And there are people in the market now that when it comes to use cases of pre-booking that are needed in the market, we're not actually going to tell a client your best serve here but we can advise you and this is the one that we recommend mm. i, I totally. totally believe that it's good to have some competition but it's even better if you know what you're best at and which which clients really are a good fit for you because then there's a high chance that they're actually gonna be super happy you know and and thrive in their business totally. and and sometimes better to say no and so, it's, um, it's also within like a use case geography vehicle type it's also Like what stage you're in, for example, or where, where do you have your strategy as an operator? Exactly. And for example, there are people in the market that might say, if the thing opens and closes and there's an invoice coming, that's all I need right now. And I'm going to pay just a few cents for it. They don't even want an API to make sense uh, of all they have. Yeah, I was going to ask like, what, what, what so, would, besides, I mean, micromobility is like the market, but is there something within that market where you say your software wonder fleet is especially good at that and, and like, What's your, basically your kind of ideal customer where you say, 
this is who we're catering to. And if these guys go with us, they're going to be very happy. And, and that's why we want to partner up with these. Yeah, so we have a depth in the product, including an API-first strategy that just really lends itself for ambitious operators that are regional champions. They do have in-house teams, in-house engineering, uh, in-house data teams. They're going to build on top of this platform. And they, they are not just about open, closing, nothing else happens. Yeah. They want to optimize pricing, fraud topics, yeah. and can partner with us on that. And that's where I think a lot of the market will fall in the future. 2030 total spent on micromobility. But some of it is going to be with Bird and Lime. And people used to think a year, two years ago, maybe they're going to dominate. The opposite is kind of more yeah. and more becoming true. Bird just retreated and so on. Some other part is going to be with like a really a long tail kind of situation where they might have five cars in one apartment building or something that also exists or at some hotel destination. But then the regional champions, the one who are really in the, for example, Dach market, Dutch market, like dominating Dutch mopeds, for mm -hmm. example, because you have a tender situation with cities, you've optimized operations around this certain vehicle type. You are a brand that's associated with this and all of that. These are ideal customers for us that have thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of vehicles. And that's, we represent. So your, um, your assumption is a little bit that um, not the global big five are going to win um, globally, but basically there's going to be local champions and they're going to win because they know the local markets better. They can adopt better. And if they partner up with a software like Wunder Fleet, then they can adjust exactly to their needs. And for these big guys, it's really hard to have a different product in every market, but that's kind of what you need to win. And so the winning combination is local champion with the enterprise kind of like yeah. the software suite. The market for shared mobility globally is very fragmented because of regulation. Cities are picking their handful of local winners, basically, often with a bias to regional operators because of the role of daily operations. You can't just lay out a plan in um, Santa Barbara for BIRD and then hope it's going to be executed around the world every day yeah. or kind of code the optimal search engine and then yeah. everyone can use it. You have to each day, I don't know, motivate the people to come in and all of that. And then thirdly, because of the missing global network effects. Mm. Um, exactly. So yeah. you don't, it's only if tomorrow morning there's a vehicle in your street, you don't care if they're also in Stockholm and Sydney. Yeah. It's just what's happening in your door. Most people, like the usage of also shared mobility, micromobility users in, in your Europe hometown, who also go to a second city yeah. is in the single digit percentage. Yeah. That's confirmed by people, for example, like Kultra, who are in you know, Italy, France, Spain, lots of markets. They are, they are big. Most of their users, single digit percentage, go to yeah. a second city. No, as well. I, I agree. I think and these, so that's why uh, it's going to be right. like this. This make, makes it hard to to oligopolize the thing yeah. and be like really a, a global um, player. And yeah, we talked to one CEO recently, one, two weeks ago, and he talks about different entrepreneurial styles. Like one approach is raise a lot of money, try to roll out your product globally, and you have a certain kind of structure to maintain from the beginning. And he basically, he's one of the European champions. And he basically said, unfortunately, it turns out this market just, it's just isn't a market for this type of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure Bird's valuation down minus 90 plus percent. They um, um, had their um, fund, certainly whoever was there early, but most investors will not. And it's quite questionable if daily city sharing operations will be run by global brands. I think that here and 
Lime and Bolt and others will play a big role in Paris and London, but I'm not sure about where most Europeans live. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. I think there's this specialization of the, you know, like the Ubers and the free nows to be more like a marketplace for yeah. Um, to access this mobility, uh, so these mobility services, and and they for them, of course, it's nice if you if you can also go to Stockholm from Hamburg and then also use something there without having to sign up with a with a local player. That's nice, but that's the exception, right? Usually, you um, you use this stuff at home and then you download one, two, three apps from the local players. So basically, local players have a lot of advantages, but not a lot of disadvantages, except maybe venture capital. And maybe accept access to you know the right technology. But um, if venture capital goes down, and if you have get access to great technology through SaaS companies like we're running them, then you have all the upside and basically no downside. And that's why I also believe that kind of the local champion is going to win, and it's going to be better for everyone because in the end, uh, customers get a more tailor fitted service that matches their expectations rather than a global standard that that seems to uh, look good but in the end it doesn't taste good like yeah. you know, just look at mcdonald's versus you know local burger chains or even individual burger yes. restaurants it's, it's similar you know yeah, um, i believe that like shared mobility is not running that is not much more glorious than running restaurants for example it's just you know every day um, a service that has to like be redone every day and most fast media out of home dining worldwide is done on local restaurants. There's McDonald's, so that exists, but in reality, most is done by local ones. And we all know mm. what tastes better, right? So <laughs> it depends. <laughs> yeah. But the other unknown between now and 2030 and all this money and where will it be spent on what kind of platforms is public money and governments. Mm. And Fructuo just published this. They ran a survey with kind of decision makers in Germany, of course, and 80% are like strong advocates that public money be spent on subsidizing these systems. Like in our industry, mm. of course, we all want that money, but it's not so unlikely. The line between public transportation and these systems is kind of blurry. Cities want to get rid of car ownership and maybe not only with like fixed line systems in the future, but also by like cross-subsidizing, incentivizing shared mobility, more flexible yeah. options in the future. And imagine who they're going to pick as a partner most of the time, where they want yeah. that money to be yeah. spent, like a regional alternative or... Um, yeah, in uh, the end, it's, it's basic infrastructure. And that usually is, even even in very open markets, usually it's it's like job of the state, right? So yeah. and, and, and so I think the future is like going to be like much, much bigger, like really dispersed in terms of the operator landscape but some very sizable ones because we're going to get 30 times bigger overall and they'll be using platforms and there won't be 20 of them. There'll be a handful um, yeah. and like one leader. And probably even those are going to be specialized to really cater to the operators specific that, that makes sense yeah. to them. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Let's get to work. I think there's a lot yeah. to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. A few things. It's a lot of fun talking On to you. List. Thanks a lot. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.